This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, November 9th of 2022. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. Thank you for joining us here on listener-supported community radio. Coming up on today's program, we'll spend most of the show looking at the results of yesterday's elections. Boulder Beach Shea Castle will give us a report back on how residents of Boulder voted on various measures. And then herbalist Brigitte Mars will bring us her regular Wednesday feature, Naturally. A BBC News update is at the bottom of the hour, then it's the high tower lowdown. After that, Shannon Young will speak with Longmont author John Bassoff and local musician Wendy Wu. Then at 9 a.m., we'll open the phone lines to invite listeners to share their thoughts on election results. And at 9.30, Greg Schultz will be at the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still ahead this morning. But first, a look at the headlines with KGNU's Stacy Johnson. Colorado Governor Jared Polis has been re-elected for a second term. NBC News and the Associated Press called the race less than an hour after the polls closed. Shortly before 8 p.m. on Tuesday evening, Polis addressed his supporters and said his victory protects people's freedom. Free to love who you love, free to decide your own family's future in our amazing great state of Colorado and a Colorado for all. Because in Colorado, we offer something truly special. The idea that your choices belong to you and no one else. During the campaign, Polis was criticized by his opponent, Heidi Ganahl, for rising crime rates in Colorado. During his acceptance speech, Polis identified tackling crime as a priority for his second term, along with the climate crisis and the economy. We're gonna continue to make our communities safer by investing in law enforcement and preventing crime before it happens. We're gonna continue to aggressively tackle clean air and climate change, preparing for drought and wildfires while creating good paying jobs and making Colorado a safer place for everyone. Before he first ran for governor in 2018, Polis served five terms in Congress. U.S. Senator Michael Bennett won his re-election bid and will now serve as a third six-year term. Bennett's Republican challenger, Joe O'Day, conceded the race just after 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Bennett said health care and immigration are two major issues he will work on in his next term. Regarding Colorado, he, he said we have to secure the future of the Colorado River and the American West, and he said people's economic future needs to be secured. When people lose a sense of opportunity for themselves and their families, that's when inevitably, in human history, somebody shows up and says, I alone can fix it. You don't need a democracy. You don't need the rule of law. You should expect your public sector and your private sector to be hopelessly corrupt, hopelessly bankrupt. That is the dark vision that Donald Trump ran for president on. That is the dark vision that he won on. And tonight, Colorado is rejecting that vision for our country. The Democrats held strong in the statewide races in Colorado. KGNU's Claire Purnell reports. Secretary of State Jenna Griswold will serve a second term. Griswold is the youngest secretary of state in the country and has been a vocal critic of conspiracy theories about election deniers, something she pledged to continue to fight against. In my next term, we will continue to protect and expand every Coloradan's right to vote. We will push back on the election conspiracies that threaten our nation, and we will continue to make Colorado's elections the gold standard in America. Attorney General Phil Weiser also won a second term. 
In his victory speech, he referred to his family's story of promise and optimism. His mother was born in a Nazi concentration camp. And in my family, we are one generation from surviving the Holocaust to standing before you as Colorado's Attorney General. That's America. Weiser spoke about the many prominent Republicans who had supported his campaign, including Republican State Senator Don Corum from Montrose. He pledged to work for all Coloradans in his next term. Four years ago when I was here, I talked about my commitment to serving as the people's lawyer. Now I stand before you with a team and a record of what that means, which is advancing the rule of law, protecting our democracy, and promoting justice for all. For KGNU, I'm Claire Purnell. Two of Colorado's eight congressional House seats remain too close to call as of election night. Democrat and former Aspen City Councilperson Adam Frisch is leading the third congressional district covering the western and southern portions of Colorado by 1.18 percentage points over Republican incumbent Lauren Boebert with roughly 93 percent of the votes counted. Leading into the election, Boebert was favored to win the Republican-leaning district. Colorado's new 8th Congressional District is holding up to its projected reputation as a competitive district as Democrat Gadero Caravero holds, holds a narrow lead of less than two percentage points over Republican Barbara Kirkmeyer. The new district covers portions of Adams, Weld, and Larimer counties. The Associated Press estimates election officials within those counties have counted roughly 68 percent of the votes. The Colorado Sun reports some Republicans were waiting until the last minute to cast their votes per the recommendations of election conspiracy theorists. Late voting adds time to the tabulation of final results. For the state's other congressional districts, the incumbents are projected to win their races, while the Associated Press has also called Democrat Brittany Peterson as the winner for Colorado's congressional 7th. About 2 million Coloradans got their ballots in for this year's midterm election. KGNU's Kara Damari has, has more. As of yesterday afternoon, unaffiliated voters accounted for 39% of ballot cast. Democrats came in at 30% and Republicans cast at 28% of ballots. People 65 to 74 age range represented the largest group of voter turnout. And people older than 35 pulled a lot higher numbers than their younger counterparts. Proposition FF, Healthy Meals for All, passed after receiving 55.21% of the votes. Ordinance 307, Denver Deserves Sidewalks, an initiative to fix Denver sidewalks, was winning at 53% at 11.30 p.m. Property owners would instate the new property taxes. For KGNU, I'm Kiara Damari. For statewide ballot questions, the Associated Press is calling yes as the winner for Proposition 121, the state income tax reduction issue, no as the winner for Proposition 124, the retail liquor licenses ballot, ballot issue, and yes as the winner for Proposition GG, the tax impact table ballot issue. The ballot measures covering medicinal mushrooms and affordable housing remain split as of this morning. Tallies for Propositions 125, wine and grocery stores, and 126, third-party alcohol delivery, are currently leaning no. KGNU will have more coverage on Proposition FF in the morning magazine.
Fort Collins voters are showing support for three changes related to the city's elections. According to the Fort Collins Coloradan, voters said yes to ranked choice voting with just more than 50 percent of the vote after the second release of incomplete unofficial ballot results. The city's voters have also said yes to an increase in pay for council members and are also supporting the moving the city's elections to November in odd years rather than in April. There is a for today's weather, there is a red flag warning in effect from 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. for for strong winds with gusts up to 50 miles per hour and relative humidity as low as 9%. The National Weather Service warns warns there's above normal temperature, low relative humidity and windy conditions and it could lead to rapid fire spread for ready to burn fuels. Today in Boulder, there is a high of 58 and a low 29 predicted with a chance of showers and rain in the evening hours. Denver is expected to have a high near 67 and breezy and light variable winds, 26 miles per hour. Fort Collins will have mostly sunny skies today with a high near 56. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. So far, only a handful of races and ballot issues have been called at the local and state level. We heard about a few major major measures in the headlines, but let's look at Boulder. Joining us live this morning to discuss local election results thus far is Shay Castle of Boulder Beat News. Good morning, Shay. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now let's start with the big takeaways. What's safe enough to call so far and what's not? Well, I would say that most of the local issues are able to be called. Um, and that's, you know, all of the tax measures that were on, you know, Boulder and um, Boulder County ballots, which is my focus. I didn't I didn't get into any of the other municipalities got approved. Um, except for the library district and that associated property tax. That one is still too close to call. It is trailing as of now, but we have quite a few ballots outstanding. Um, Only about half of active voter ballots have been counted so far. Of course, we don't expect every active voter to vote, Um, but it looks like that voter turnout might be quite a bit lower than the past two midterms in, in the city of Boulder, we have about 65% turnout so far in, in terms of how many ballots have been counted. And the whole county, it, it's quite a bit lower. It's about 47%, um, which would be much, much lower than in 2018 and 2014. So there's still possibly enough ballots outstanding to to turn some of these races around. But for the most part, you know, the three county taxes look to be passing. The Boulder Valley School District bonds look to be passing. Um particularly in the city of Boulder, the even year elections measure to move city council races to even years. That looks like a solid yes. So the only ones I'm keeping my eye on are the library district. And it seems solid. The The repeal of CU South looks to be failing, but um, depending on what returns we get, we'll see what happens. So speaking of the CU South annexation, what are your thoughts on that? Well, as I said, it looks to be failing right now. You know, in, in any other issue, I would be super comfortable calling this. And, you know, I did um, I did in my official results that I published. It's 53.7% against. And it looks like quite a few voters have sat that out, actually, of, 
of the total ballots counted, um, about 40% of people didn't appear to vote on that. Uh, when you look at the the ballots counted for just that measure. So I don't know if people are confused by it or as as I mentioned in my coverage, we already kind of voted on a CU South measure last year. So maybe people thought, hey, I already voted on this. I don't I don't care. Um, so it's interesting to see that it wasn't as it didn't drive as much interest as perhaps the supporters of it thought. Um, for my own personal <laughs> opinion, I'm I will be glad to not have to cover this anymore. It's been quite divisive and really difficult, but but obviously that you know that's not a a celebration of the outcome. It's just one of those issues that is really difficult from a local perspective. So if it is indeed done, I would be breathing a sigh of relief. Absolutely, and it's surprising that so few or so many people didn't vote on that. Were there any other election results that surprised you? I don't think so. I think this is pretty much when we're talking about the local level, pretty much what I expected. Almost all all of the taxes passed. The library district is very, very close and may pass or may not. Um, even your elections, I fully expected to pass just because when you talk to political insiders, you know, it seems to be a lot more divisive than the general population. I think you go to a, a person who's tangentially evolved and they say, oh, more people voting? Yeah, that's great. That's how democracy works, right? So I think that became a divisive thing among insiders, but for the average voter, it's it's really a no-brainer. So nothing is um, surprising me on the local level. I am a bit surprised to see in Denver that the no eviction without representation measure is not, is not passing. And again, these are early results, but that passed pretty handily in Boulder. And from what I can tell, that measure is almost an exact copy and paste of what Boulder did. And that program has been incredibly successful here. So to see that go down in Denver is um, is a, is an interesting. Mm. Speaking of copy and paste between Boulder and other areas, are there any standout places where Boulder voters kind of broke with the state trends? You know, I haven't really looked at that yet, um, but I imagine Boulder county voters rejected the last state income tax reduction that passed uh, a couple years ago. And the one that's on the ballot this year is passing. And I haven't looked at if whether or not we're rejecting that, but I would be shocked if we if we change course on that. Um, as I've written for Boulder Beat, we haven't turned down a local tax in more than a decade in the city of Boulder. Um, Boulder County has within the last, you know, I think the last tax we uh, rejected was in 2014 or 2016, but we've approved um, in Boulder County more than a dozen local and state taxes over the past decade. So we are a tax loving place. Um, so I can't wait to look through those uh, local level state races and see see how those shook out. Great. Well, Shay Castle is the founder of BoulderBeat.News. And thanks as always for coming on our program. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Of course. One of the ballot issues many Colorado parents were watching closely was Proposition FF, also known as Healthy School Meals for All. The measure asked voters to decide on the creation of a universal school lunch program for all Colorado public school students. Earlier this morning, News Director Shannon Young spoke with Ashley Wheeland, Public Policy Director for Hunger-Free Colorado. 
By now, many listeners have probably heard the mantra that Election Day is not results day. But we're speaking now the morning after Election Day. What are the results show for Prop FF? Yeah, so for Proposition FF, we are up uh, about 55% of Coloradans so far have voted in support and 45 uh, against. But, you know, we're holding steady and they're finalizing the vote this morning. And we're very, very excited that this is probably going to be a new law. Another ballot question that's fairly safe to call at this point is the approval of Prop 121, which reduces the state's income tax. How do tax cuts coexist with voter approval of expanded services on the same ballot? Yeah, so the pot of money is a little different in this situation. In Proposition FF, we ask the voters to approve a reduction in tax breaks for folks who make over 300000 uh, so that that the Colorado um, government could keep those dollars and use it to pay for this important program to make sure that every kid can get food when they're in school and learning. As far as logistics go, school cafeterias already have experience in serving up universal school lunches because school meals were free for all students during most of the pandemic. But funding for it came from the federal government. How will this look at a state level? Yeah, we did have that example last year, and it really showed that when we have school meals available to all students, uh, participation rates go up. There's, you know, a reduction in shame and stigma for those kids who, you know, uh, felt afraid to participate because of that. And then also for those families who might make a little too much but don't qualify for the federal programs. Uh, So we saw 68,000 more kids a day eat lunch last year. Uh, So we know it works, and that's what will happen this um, when we get it back in place. More districts will be able to go back to that model, and uh, the state will cover the difference. So we'll still be bringing in, you know, as many federal dollars as possible with the federal programs like free and reduced lunch, and then the state dollars will help cover the additional costs so that every kid can get a meal and they don't have to worry about where their lunch money will be coming from. And for the application for for federal funds, there was a drop-off during the pandemic just because all of the meals were already free, so a lot of parents didn't do that paperwork. Is there any plan in place to make sure that the applications are done by parents so that schools can obtain those federal funds? Yeah, so so I'm going to get a little wonky here, but there's also some changes um, going into place where we start using direct certification, so data around the programs some of the kids are already in, like Medicaid, and so we'll be able to basically use that information as well as applications to bring in federal dollars, but uh, it's kind of a combination of both. What are the next steps logistically as far as implementation? How long will it take for the students to to see these free universal school meals? Yeah, so there's a couple components. The first component where they can get meals um, and their districts will be reimbursed. Uh, We'll start right away in in the 23-24 school year. And then um, the other programs, which include funding for grants for districts to buy healthy food from our local farmers and ranchers, and funding to help increase wages for those frontline staff in our cafeteria, 
Um, we expect that to start in 24, 25, once we start using um, that Medicaid data I mentioned. This victory originated as a grassroots campaign. Do you have any reflections or words of advice for other people who are organizing to bring about change via ballot propositions? Yeah, I think, you know, we worked with organizations across the state, um, many community-based, and they shared, those those folks shared their stories, and a lot were parents, a lot were teachers, a lot were cafeteria workers, and they they joined and came forward, and, and you know, we went to the legislature and shared the impacts and the stories, and the legislature, you know, wanted to help and support in a way that we could find a funding mechanism that's long-term. So I think, you know, the advice we have is is to, you know, work with folks across the state as well as community-based organizations and, and our community folks um, to really share the stories and to really um, be the voice and, and help in moving things forward. Really, we have to listen to what folks need. And when we do, um, amazing things can happen. Ashley Wheeland, Public Policy Director for Hunger-Free Colorado. Thank you for speaking with me this morning. Definitely. Thanks for having me. For KGNU, I'm Shannon Young. now for Naturally with herbalist Brigitte Mars. Greetings. Welcome to Naturally. This is Brigitte Mars. As I was walking home down Pearl Street Mall the other evening, I overhear bits of conversation from people sitting at outdoor cafe tables and I hear ayahuasca. And at another table I hear microdosing. So, Maybe it's time to chat a little bit about what do I think about psychedelic therapy. Well, I certainly don't think it is for everyone, but I do think it can be amazingly transformational when used with safe set and setting, and preferably with someone who is experienced in this realm to act as a guide. So again, it's not for everyone, and it it can many of the substances cannot be used by people that are on certain kind of drugs like uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, but studies are ongoing and showing that psychedelic therapy can help people resolve trauma, um, health issues, depression, anxiety. So something to consider if you're pondering this is how you could create an EPIC event. And so EPIC stands for education. So if you were thinking about doing something like this, maybe you should talk to other people who've done it. There's a wonderful website called Arrowid, E-R-O-W-I-D, that has a lot of information about dosages, safety, physiological effects. Preparation means really getting your body ready, your mind ready, um, doing your research, 
you know, having your place clean because set and setting is so important. You certainly wouldn't want to be during the experience looking for art supplies or looking for that special drink. So creating a safe set and setting. And that might also include finding a trusted person who can work as a sitter. Intention is top of the list. Why would you do this? If you have an intention, it can help you have an experience that is really going to answer some of your deepest heart concerns. So intentions could be things like, I want to heal my relationship. I want to resolve a past trauma. I want to discover what I need to do for my body or what is my next step in life. And then the C in EPIC is coalesce. So having a day off afterwards to journal, talk about what happened, because it doesn't just end with the experience. It ends with putting to use the things that you hopefully learned during the experience to create a better life and a better world. Thanks for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally. That's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Hannah Stewart. Special thanks to Stacy Johnson, Claire Purnell, Kiara Mari, Alexis Kenyon, Maeve Conran, Shay Castle, Shannon Young, and Brigitte Mars for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for the Hightower Lowdown and then an in-studio interview with Longmont author John Bassoff. That's coming up after these news headlines from the BBC.